Welcome to Rising Titans with Andy Weiss, a podcast that hones in on the process of achieving greatness. In each episode, we sit down with a rising titan of industry and learn about their path to success thus far. We always remind our listeners to keep in mind that it's not about the end result, it's about the journey. In today's episode, we sit down with Mark Hirschberg, co-founder and CEO of Topaz Capital Group, LLC. We'll hear how he went from being a banking analyst to lending and brokerage, and ultimately to syndicating his own real estate deals. Welcome, Mark. How are you? Hey, how are you, Andy? Thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's great to have you here. Um, you know, for, for me, this is like uh, really like full circle. It's kind of like the embodiment of where I've been pushing my life and career where, you know, we, uh, we met through a business context and we became good friends and, you know, we, 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 we did a deal together and uh, hopefully, hopefully many more uh, in, in, in a lot of different facets. And, uh, you know, we're both connected in the philanthropic world. And now with, uh, with this element here, it's just a, a chance to interview you and, and, and get some of your insights. It's, uh, it's pretty cool for me, I got to say. Yeah, likewise. It's actually pretty neat. I was thinking myself uh, prior to jumping on the call um, with you is that uh, just kind of, you know, showing that, you know, relationships in this business really do matter and that you never know, it might start over a deal that you don't actually think is going to come to fruition, but in fact it does. And then things, you know, you have to make sure to, to keep that rapport going. And I think that's a testament to our relationship. Uh, very yeah. Well. And, uh, you know, and I think it's really cool to, you know, see that you're finally, I, we've been speaking about it for a while and to see that this is finally launching is a very exciting thing in my eyes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, it's cool. And, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, big things on the horizon. I mean, that's why, that's why I got you on here. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So, so talk about, uh, if you want to segue us in, um, to talk. Yeah. About I mean, that. you know, I, I usually just offer, uh, offer my, my guest you know, kind of the mic now, just like, tell us what you're about, where you're from, you know, whatever kind of background you want to give to people listening, uh, on, on, you know, how you got to where you are, but, you know, start from wherever you'd like. Sure. Sure. So, um, so, so yeah, so obviously, um, you know, I'm going back, uh, and dating myself a little here, but, um, you know, it started, uh, you know, as a younger, you know, as a kid, um, always looking around, um, you know, whether inside my community, outside community at what people are up to and what they're doing. And, uh, I think naturally, um, you know, for my community, at least a lot of people were in the real estate space. Um, but you know, I, I didn't really understand what that meant at the time. Um, mm -hmm. I just saw that a lot of folks were in that space. Um, whether it was, uh, I didn't even know at the time, I didn't even know if it was, if it was multifaceted space, if it meant lending as well as, you know, buying as well as selling and all the kind of uh, segments of the industry that we have today. Um, but, you know, I, I, it became more of an interest from kind of seeing it um, on the community level than seeing it, uh, you know, through my family. Um, actually, my family did not have many successes with real estate. Um, they lost a lot of the money in real estate. Uh, so, in fact, uh, me going against the grain and saying, mm -hmm. hey, that's actually something I really want to learn. Um, this is something I really want to uh, hone in on. Um, not that there's anyone, uh, you know, uh, out there to, um, kind of speak to, uh, the field for me, but I kind of just saw it was more of a familiarity wanting on the one hand between, you know, families, uh, ventures into it have been unsuccessful wanting to understand why, uh, two, uh, you know, seeing it from the community level and trying to understand, uh, why, you know, so many people in the community in, in, in my Jewish community specifically, uh, were so uh, uh, gravitated so much towards uh, real estate. And lastly, I always had an interest in investing as a little kid, uh, whether it was me having to, um, you know, fix and flip a couple uh, smaller properties, um, you know, going into college. Um, huh. And also uh, something that was pretty neat um, that I did back then was trying to, um, you know, essentially do some side jobs for uh, real estate owners um, in the community um, to see what exposure I could get to the business. Um, huh. So it was kind of a combination of things. Interesting. And uh, so a couple of things that I just wanted to pry into. One, just to clarify, when you say community, like you're from North Jersey, right? Like the town, yeah, sure. so area. Correct. Yeah. So the community is the Bergen County community. 
okay. in North Jersey, um, grew up here. And also uh, between the Upper West Side, Manhattan, up until fourth grade, I was over there in the Upper West Side. Huh. Uh, well, it used to be the Malone build, uh, well, actually what still is the Malone building um, on West End Avenue and 74th Street. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, exactly. And that's a great building. I used to live there for many years. Then we moved to the Montana on Broadway on 86th Street. Um, huh. We were there for a number of years prior to moving to Jersey. Um, but I would say in both of those communities, there were a lot of similarities in, in the field of profession and exposure to that field. Huh. It, it's, it's interesting because I, you know, I, I think the last few years I became acutely aware of, of how your, uh, your environment impacts you. And you, know, you talk a lot about how a lot of people in your community, that's what they did as a profession. Like when I grew up, no one that I knew was in real estate and I, I didn't have any conception that it was a career until I started meeting more people in, in New York City and, and really meeting just people who worked in real estate. And, you know, I think, I think it brings up a, a larger point about opportunities and, and where opportunities come from and kind of what you conceive as opportunities and what's possible when you, when you see it being done. You're like, well, this guy's doing it. I guess I could probably do it also. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, to your point, I, I have a, a mentor um, in, uh, actually in my actually happens to be in my community that um, that told me that you can't you know you can't bring yourself the opportunities, but you could gravitate towards the opportunities. Hmm. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting, and that kind of sums up I think what you were saying in a sense that um, the more you uh, expose yourself. Um, to those opportunities and to the industry as a whole, you're able to really learn a lot from even the outside looking in, um, despite what most people might believe. Granted, there's a benefit to being uh, in the door, um, if you will, as, as people call it in the industry. But um, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's really more so of uh, observing and learning from those that are doing it really well. Um, and that's, that's what I was trying to do um, going into college but uh, at that point, I was really more focused on, you know, getting that glorious banking analyst job, which everyone wanted in college. And, you know, and you, you got it, right? And, and yeah, thankfully, I got it at the time. And, you know, it's and, and, you know, it's definitely a very rewarding feeling to achieve that. But um, at that, you know, at that time, but uh, what I found was is that there's a, there's many times uh, people without getting too deep or with people, uh, no, no, please get, get deep, get deep. <laughs> That's what we're here for, Mark. We want, we, we yeah, want no, the fishkas. We want the guts. Exactly. And I think it's directly to, you know, talking about a little more about life in the, in the mix of, 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 of figuring things out career wise, you have your life uh, in the balance, right. That you have to figure out as well. So, you know, my life at the time was, you know, how do I become that, banking analyst, that Wall Street career to make the money and, and to, you know, because I'm not becoming the lawyer, doctor, or uh, other profession that you have to be uh, growing up in a quote, a quote unquote Jewish household. Um, so, well, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious though, you, you, so you, you, you flipped homes in high school and like you, you saw it all around you, but you, what, I guess, what, what motivated you to not go into real estate and to, to try like that more traditional Wall Street path? Great question, and that's uh, that's sort of where I was heading. And I think glad you asked that. It, it, it's really because of, of one thing um, in my eyes. It's 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 the caveat and hindrance of growth, and that's other pre other people's percept, other people's expectations of you should not necessarily. You don't necessarily have to meet that expectation, and nor should you feel feel the forced to fit the mold of what everyone sees the glorious job or the job that's sexy, quote unquote, huh. for a better term that people uh, are all focused on. And I think that, you know, stepping away and stepping out of that comfort zone of your own, uh, of your own self, um, when looking at what to do with your career, I think that was an incredibly um, growth oriented experience. Um, being able to kind of you know, at the time I, I, I actually I subscribed to it. At the time I did subscribe to it, um, that's where, you know, we'll get to, you know, I'm sure in a, in a little bit, but we'll get to how I, you know, how the progression went towards real estate as opposed to banking. Um, but, but to your point, it, it really wasn't 
so much of my own volition. It, it was almost a force greater than I. It was the social, yeah. it was the social uh, uh, influence and the social um, pressures that were driving me in that direction. Was it, was it family even... related or, or do you think it was like you, you, the people you're around at school, like everyone's vying for that job and like that's viewed as like the arbiter of success. It's like banking. I think, I think like the way you said more so is the arbiter of success. It's almost like that's the, that's the, you know, uh, that's the climax of anyone's career. That's the, you know, kind of the height yeah. of what anyone could achieve. And that wasn't just the family. It was done all throughout school, um, throughout huh. community, throughout family. You know, it's, you kind of see it across the board because if you, like I said earlier, if you're not falling into the, typical uh, Jewish or, you know, or, or educated young uh, adult uh, mold of going into a more typical profession of, let's say, law, accounting, or doctor, it tends to, you know, bring a certain stigma to it. And I think that was the huh. stigma that, I, that uh, without even realizing, I succumbed to, and I was subscribing to, um, despite uh, voluntarily or involuntarily, I'm not sure. Looking back in hindsight, it seemed like it was involuntary. Um, but you know, it, it drove me in the direction which brought me inevitably to where I am now. So I think it was ultimately a good path. Um, but like you, like you always say, it's, everything's a step, everything's a building stone for something else tomorrow. And I think that's kind of, of course. you know, I think that's really, uh, the key here, you know, for understanding the path of uh, a career path. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. Um, and I, and I, I agree, I, you know, things become apparent in hindsight, right? Like, you know, and, and, and to some extent, it was you going into banking was the reason you ended up coming into real estate. So it's, it's not a bad thing. But I do, I do always find it fascinating to talk to people about how they end up in their careers. And especially when they're able to pivot from a tradition, more like a traditional role, like you're describing, like a, a paid professional role to like, oh, I'm going to go out and I'm just going to make it happen. Right. Like that's what you did. Um, so so what, what bank were you at and, and, and how long were you there? Sure. So I was at UBS, uh, Financial Services, UBS Investment Bank, for uh, about a year um, uh, prior to uh, prior to going to Brick Capital, um, which is inevitably where I learned uh, most about the business. Um, and, under, and like, what 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 like what pushed the transition? Like, when were you like? All so right, great question. This. Yeah. So back to your point, um, uh, right before. Um, we segued here. You mentioned that sometimes you got in, in life, and this is so true. I find it every day. Today I'm working on it. You know, every day I'm working on deals. But today I was working on a deal that um, you know came to me that I realized I had to hit a certain point in order to actually achieve that level of the conversation, to have that part of the conversation. Whether yeah. and and there were ways for me to jump ahead to that conversation. But what I realized is if I did that, it would cost me something in turn. So I had to go to that point to get there and inevitably to get with where I needed. So, so everything was, a, you know, a stepping stone, so to speak. And that's kind of how I have to look at things. I try to look at things as progression over perfection yeah. and, and the process over the performance. Love so that. if you delve yourself into the process and you're able to say, okay, I am the one who needs to get to the next step. What steps is it going to take for me to get there? you know, you're going to have to hit certain walls, but then you're going to pivot. And that's exactly what happened at UBS. I hit a wall. I realized, you know, or ceiling, if you will. And I realized this wasn't, you know, for me, what am I doing being an Excel uh, monkey all day long, plugging in other people's wealth and, and helping them create profiles and, uh, you know, or restructuring on some loans um, and, and stuff for, uh, you know, some of it was, it was part of the rotational program. So I saw like a lot of different things from wealth to lending to, um, to, uh, to kind of more retail banking, if you will, or assist or servicing the retail banks and then the yeah. more, the bigger uh, kind of companies and insurance companies, et cetera. But ultimately when I, the more I stayed there and then I got after that one year, I said, you know, it started having conversations about, longer term, uh, you know, commit commitments to the company. Um, yeah. as I was doing that and looking at the documents, thinking about the longer term commitments or thinking about the different jobs I could segue into, uh, uh, um, within the organization, I realized that 
the more and more I was looking at those jobs, nothing was resonating with me, not just because they weren't great jobs being really well paid. They just didn't speak to me as a mm. person. And that was the problem. And my grandfather, Max Ostro, um, uh, a blessed memory, always said to me, he said, you have to have a combination of what you're good at, but also what you love to do. Yeah. If you're able to have that combination, you're able to be very successful. And, wow. And I think that was something that I took with me forever. Um, and obviously, his, you know, his, him always quoting Winston Churchill on never give, in, <laughs> give up. And, you know, all of his quotes, you know, definitely rung true with me and stayed, it still sticks with me today, even despite him not being around. But, um, but you know, that lesson, I love that. that lesson was so, uh, just so powerful. Um, and, okay. and I didn't really understand it. And then in that moment, I started thinking more about what he was saying and what that meant. Um, and at the time, um, I didn't have the opportunity to call, unfortunately, but I did have the opportunity to call some other folks and say, you know, how do you think this relates to, you know, going, am I going against the current on this job? Is this not who I am in nature? Is this maybe not what I like? And so it was a big introspection period for me to go through that motion. Um, and any time I've, you know, in leading up to that point, making any shift uh, was a tremendous growth period because I stepped out of my comfort zone. Um, you, you were, how, how old were you at that time? Sure. So uh, UBS, um, they made me the offer in 2016, going, I think, early 2016. Um, and I was probably around 23, I believe. Wow. 20, 22, sorry, 22. That's impressive, man. I mean, you know, I, I think I went through a similar kind of introspection. Um, but when I was like 27, 28, you know, like it, very different. I, I give you a lot of credit. I think it's, it's a, it takes a lot of maturity, um, especially forget, forget about all the social pressures, but then like, you know, when, when you're on a path and you're like, Oh, I'm getting good at whatever I do. And you know, it just, it's, it's the easy way, not saying the easy way is necessarily the wrong or, or a bad way, but like it, it, it is, you, you took the path of most resistance, um, which yeah. I, I think a lot of 22 year olds would not do myself probably included when I was 22. So I, I have a lot of respect for it. Yeah, and, and I can't take all the credit for that because I, I surround myself with really, and especially then, I said, you know, I still, I still think I do, but I surround myself with people much smarter than myself. And, um, you know, that's something that uh, my partner always says, you know, as Andrew Carnegie always said on his tombstone, I, I lie with those who are, I always lied with those who are uh, people who are smarter than I. And I, wow. I think that's, I think that's, you know, the essence of, of maturity and the essence of successful growth. Um, and, 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 I, and I'd say humility as well. Yeah. And, and humility, because you realize how the more, right, the more you're talking to people that know more than you, you realize you don't know that much. You don't know anything really. Um, yeah. That's really what I realized at the time. And the people that, you know, spoke not only to me literally, but also spoke to me uh, very uh, openly and um, and kind of genuinely about how they feel about their job in the banking world and what and or if they've been experienced in other uh, industries, um, you know, I was able to then you know frame myself in their shoes um, and then to get to figure out where I am at that time. Um, so it was really the people around me that um, I spoke to and I was talking and maybe even pestering at times. Um, that really, that gave me the, hmm. the time of day um, were the people that eventually influenced me to, uh, to, to make the shift into a different industry entirely. Um, That's amazing. And, and, and it's, and, and, and to your point, uh, you know, getting a, you know, well-paid salary every, you know, getting a check every couple of weeks is, and going from that to, uh, you know, to private equity, um, you know, real estate, where a lot of it's performance-based um, is, isn't easy. And then it's also learning a whole new segment. Um, so for me, uh, my biggest, uh, you know, kind of um, goal at the time was to find the people that I would learn the most from in, the, in what I think would be the shortest time frame to do that. Huh. Um, how, that was my objective at that time. Gotcha. So, and then how did you end up connecting with Brick Capital? 
Great question. So I was applying to a lot of the leading uh, real estate private equity New York firms. A lot of them were New York focused, like like Brick Capital. Um, but uh, I was more so, it actually stumbled more upon me um, through a friend of mine that worked for Brick Capital's affiliate company, Freeman Roth Realty Partners. Um, actually, Josh Benalevi was working there um, and, and a couple other folks um, were there as well. And I was hearing a little bit about the brokerage arm, but I was more intrigued by their, pri their private equity lending platform, Brick Capital. Um, and that's what really incited me is that huh. they also not only had that platform, but that was a platform with, within a multitude of platforms. They had multiple verticals. They had uh, a recognized commercial brokerage company, uh, a recognized uh, management company, a recognized lending company, and they had a recognized uh, uh, also uh, actually residential brokerage uh, for their own properties. Huh. And, and for their own portfolio. So, that's cool. um, so it was actually a very holistic way of learning. And that's one of the main reasons why it, it intrigued me is that I didn't have to go into, uh, you know, a, a more, uh, you know, cookie cutter private equity firm that doesn't allow you to see multiple angles of the firm. They kind of just give you your tasks. And it's siloed. It's like, you're, kind of like what you're running away from in banking, like fill, a spread, fill the spreadsheet out. Don't think too much. Exactly. Exactly. So like more of that kind of, like you said, siloed and more of the, you know, this is your instructions and try to perform to the best of your ability, um, you know, on, 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 you know, on the, uh, on the tasks that were set forth. But nevertheless, you know, I found myself saying, you know, that that's not really for me. Um, you know, I want to be with someone who's willing to, uh, you know, sit down with me and answer some of my questions and run through scenarios with me. And someone who's letting me to listen to their phone calls, not at first, obviously, but once you build a rapport and someone who's willing to be uh, fairly open and willing to teach. I think the willing to teach part um, is not is not something to be taken for granted in the workforce. hundred hundred percent agree with that. It's, I, can't, it's I can't agree more. Yeah, it's something, but it's something that is being taken for granted every day. I hear kids saying, oh, well, he's teaching me, but I'm not getting paid well, or I'm looking to shift my job or this or that. But, but at the end of the day, there's a value to the willingness to teach. And that value sometimes is greater beyond your, you know, oh, yeah. greater than what you're getting from your college education uh, alone. And so I think that that's the flawed perception of so many people and the, and, the, and the great misconception, I think, of so many people um, today is that you have to look beyond the dollars in front of you. You have to look at the mm -hmm. bigger picture. Where are you going to gain outside of this? And what are my cost-benefit analysis, right? And, and I think that's, the, that's really the key to always assess. And, and, I, and I think I was able to do that successfully with uh, Brick Capital and, and their managing principals, uh, you know, Eric Roth, Joel Radman, and George Niblock, who are, uh, you know, titans in their own right. Um, I, I would, I would agree. I would agree. They're, they're, they're past the rising Titans podcast. I, I don't know. I don't know if Joel would, would, would want to sit down with me to do this, but, uh, he, he does have an invite though. You know, I could do a, I could do a, a risen Titans special episode for him. <laughs> exactly. So like, that's the type of thing that like, I think it's really cool to see, you know, um, you know, to see, you know, people like, like we're talking about Joel, for example, who, you know, have made their mark. And, and at this point, it's more about wealth preservation and, 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 you know, and about teaching and passing it over to the next uh, generation and leaving mm -hmm. their mark. And Eric, too, and George, too. And they said to me when I, uh, you know, and, and I'll, tell, I'll, I'll, I'll reference this again later when we get to that point, but when I segued out of brick to start Topaz, but, um, but inevitably, uh, we, you know, that time came and when it came, um, we all sat down and they said to me, um, if you were leaving to take a different job or if you were leaving to, um, to kind of give up and go to a different space, we'd consider ourselves a failure. But you're leaving to go start something that we believe you could do. Hmm. And we think you'll be successful doing. And that is, could be no greater reward to us than, than you doing so. Um, wow. I think that was a very endearing thing that they said. And it was just the four of us in the room. Um, and in the conference room, I still never forget that moment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they were really encouraging me to, 
Um, you know, obviously they wanted me to stay, but at the same time, they really encouraged me to follow my dreams and to go out and create this platform that I want to create on both debt and equity and to do more deals on my own, um, huh. which actually, and I could get into this a little later, but basically happened out of participating in deals with them while working for them. Uh, so how, how long, how long, I, well, first off, just, I, I definitely look forward to touching that in a second. And I think that's, uh, I guess just to touch on what you just said as well, like that's so amazing that you had that kind of relationship built with them. And, and to your point, I, and I, whenever I talk to kids, yeah, like kids, I'm, I'm 31, I'm not, not so old, but you know, 22 year olds, they're kids now to me. Um, but whenever I talk to younger kids, especially I, I the, the, the biggest thing I highlight is find good mentors who are willing to invest in you, especially if you're going into, you know, any form of brokerage or direct origination business. Um, you know, having a, a strong mentor who is willing to invest time in you and is going to treat you right and be honest with you. And, and you can just really trust, like, you're not, you're not worried about anything, you know, like you're not worried. Is this guy taking my fee or something, you know, like, like because you hear stories about that and, and those aren't productive environments, but you know, sounds like you have, you had a phenomenal experience there. Um, I just wanted to delve into it a little more though. Like how many years were you there? Sure. Uh, great question. So I was just there for uh, just shy of four years. Um, it's pretty long uh, time. Yeah. So I was there for a good amount of time. Um, and, and what, what were you doing? Like you, you, I know, I mean, I know you, you were on the, the bridge side, but I know you also brokered a few deals, right? Like, sure. like some serious deals. Yeah, some of them were iconic in their own right. Um, uh, whether it be the uh, you know the Lightstone uh, Moxie Hotel on the Lower East Side that's coming up now, actually, um, or whether it was the big package in the Bronx, um, and, you know, uh, in, in kind of the southeastern Bronx area along the water, um, actually included a whole uh, 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 um, a strip of. Um, boats um, and had a really cool, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, docking area that was wow. also an income stream for the property. That was the first time ever I've actually underwrote a deal with an income, with the cash income stream with boats involved. But, huh. um, in, New York, cool. in, in New York yeah. City. It's, it's uh, not typical. It's not a typical deal. So, the, you know, certain deals kind of stood out, um, you know, and I did a lot of, you know, as I was focused on yes, most are the more so the you know analyzing and originations of, of loans, um, primarily alternative direct type loans, um, whether bridge, non note note financing, um, non performing note purchasing or acquisition or financing, etc. Um, you know that was what you know the the core. But then I was also uh, you know. I'm a broker. I'm a, I have a broker's license and I got my broker's license when I started because they said, you know what, you're in the industry, you're here to learn. You might yeah. as well try to broker some deals. And also you're on the phone. You could have a two way conversation saying, Hey, if you're not willing to do the lending part and not want to borrow from us, then what about, you know, are you selling any of your assets? Are you buying anything? So hmm. it was kind of a way for me to have multiple avenues of uh, making money, if you will. Um, and, and, and I'd say also multiple ways of adding value, you know, like you're not just one dimensional. It's like, you know, we have a variety of offerings that we could help you with. And like, exactly. and, and, and I think especially like starting off in the industry, it's like, how do you build relationships with people where it's not just about, Oh, like I, I need to do this deal with you. It's, it's, it's about a relationship that is going to be a long-term relationship, not just yeah. like, how do I make money right now? No, it's a great point. And so that was able, that, that, that enabled me to um, be able to speak to people and, and cultivate relationships on multiple, uh, in, on multiple platforms in the business arena, but also in multiple facets of their life, right? Yeah. So they, they might need a loan because they're having some sort of issue financially, but they also might have a deal that, um, they're selling because they experienced one of the three D's, um, which is what, uh, Richard, Richie Guarino, shout out to Richard Guarino, Freeman Roth, um, <laughs> basically, uh, taught me that the first, uh, couple months I was in the firm. Um, that's, he was that's, always, that's definitely in the Marcus playbook also, just to be clear, not that I was yeah. a sales broker, but, uh, Marcus and <laughs> definitely goes over the, the, the D's. 
Exactly. So he would kept saying the three D's. You never know when you're going to have the guys saying the death, death, and divorce on the property. And then that's where you have to step in. And yeah. so, you know, that it permeated with me in the sense that I kept understanding, um, you know, that there, it really boils down to the relationship. And so I was able to have those conversations with people, whether it was, you know, the personal experiences that are affecting the reason why they're transacting or if they're just transacting to actually better their personal lives, um, which has also been very typical of my relationships um, in the past and, and still and currently. Um, so uh, that that's kind of um, how I uh, got involved in, in multiple facets of the business. And I was able to also see a little bit of the management and able to offer management for people that were struggling with management or had this question on management or that question. I was able just to turn over and kind of, you know, scream across the room and say, Hey, what's this, you know, what's the story with this type of ruling and this policy or, or, or this issue or that issue. And, and, uh, and there were, uh, fortunate, I was very fortunate to have colleagues, um, that I wasn't even working in on a day to day, um, with, but they would still, you know, answer my questions and help me out. Um, despite being a different ancillary <clears throat> business yeah. within the company. Huh. And, and so I think, I think it's, you know, it's, it's so valuable when you have different streams of business in, in one office because, you know, you, you really, you start to realize every day more and more like information drives so much and just like the ability to access someone who knows exactly what to do or has done something before and pick their brain and have them walk you through it is just it's invaluable. Um, yeah. It's just, it's, it, it, it it makes you a better advisor, makes you a better owner, like whatever it is, like, you know, just having that, that flow of information. is. is, is yeah, it is. And to your point, it makes you, I think the word I would use here is just makes you have a wider uh, breadth of knowledge um, yeah. and be more holistically, um, you know, be more well-rounded, if you will. Huh. Um, and and cool. I think that's, I think that's what it, it, it offered uh, me um, and that's what I benefited from it. And, and it offered other people that were also there and or currently there. So, so then at what point, you know, you, you mentioned your conversation earlier, telling, telling the, the, all the principles that you're going to leave, you know, what point did you realize that you wanted to leave and like, how did you kind of make that a reality? Sure. So that's a great question. Um, I, 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 as I think back about, you know, the different times, I would say there were multiple times I thought about leaving. Um, you know, some of them were immature, more like, you know, you know, I, I heard, you know, my buddy got this job in my competitor firm, you know, this is what they offered. Um, you know, hearing about some opportunities, whether they were real or not, made you always say, you know, oh, okay, that's something that, you know, if things get tough, let me think about it. Um, so that was something that had popped up a couple times. I'll be honest, I didn't think about it a whole lot because um, I was very happy where I was. Um, yeah, sounds I was like very, it. Uh, thank God I was successful there. And so um, I, I wasn't really looking to leave. It was more that leaving, I almost felt like leaving was almost looking for me, if it makes sense. Um, like yeah. I, 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 how does it make sense? In other words, it was more that I was gravitating towards doing something um, were that something that was that was bigger than what I was involved with. Something where I could be more part of, let's say, the principal side of the business and get more involved in that process as opposed to uh, lending or brokering on it, um, which which just creates me as an intermediary, if you will. Um, with Got it. And, and, you know, like, like you said before, the guys you're working with, they clearly had like, they, they liked you a lot and you had a great relationship, but like, you know, they're in very different stages of their life at this point. They are Titans, you know, you hope to be a Titan, but it's, it's you know, sure. you, you, you want different things, right? Like, yeah, to your point. So, so to your point, um, it basically became that we were on different wavelengths, right? So, yeah. and it's, and it's fine. It's just, we were on different wavelengths. The reality is when you're, when you're, when you're, when you're already successful, um, you, you're not willing to take as much risk. And this is just true okay. across the board uh, for the most part. When I, when I talk to people who are usually older and more, you know, have a longer career or, or 
um, you know, have their success in their own right. And they always say to me that, you know, it boils down to, you know, to that, um, if you will. And I, mm. and I think, you know, uh, you know, the ability not only to um, be more creative and a little less conservative, um, but also um, see opportunity where they might not see opportunity. Um, mm. that will, that, that's sort of the point where I started saying, hey, I'm able to underwrite these deals and look at these deals differently than they do. Um, maybe a little more institutionally or, um, you know, uh, supported with more uh, models and more of a uh, comprehensive analysis um, than what was typically being done. And maybe it's called like the new way of looking at deals, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. essentially the way I kind of saw it in their eyes. Um, and, and I think that I wanted to capitalize on, on that ability, on the ability to, to see that value where they might not have seen it or where they missed it. Um, you know, and, and then also see, and then also have an ability obviously to, uh, make decisions, um, administrative and principal decisions on deals, um, wasn't something I was doing there um on a day-to-day -day. it's something you know i had the fortune of partnering um with uh one of the partners um uh at, at brick and uh basically uh found myself there for uh you know partnering on a few deals that we did in philadelphia which you're familiar with uh fortunately um for your ability to execute on the financing there uh, and, uh, despite, we're not going to get into all the hurdles we, we went through to get a loan done, but that would be a great podcast on its own. That, just, to get a, just to get a loan done with that bank, uh, would definitely be a podcast on its own. But nevertheless, yeah. um, <laughs> um, you know, we, 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 you know, I, I found that, you know, I, I started getting a taste of the ownership and a taste of what it's like to be a principal and an equity and an owner of a property. And I think huh. that that taste was very desirable. And I think the taste um, that I had in my mouth was telling me, hey, you know, uh, I would like more. You know, this is something, um, you know, I'm very, uh, you know, I'd gravitate towards, you know, this is probably my vice. Um, this is one of my vices. I'm a deal junkie. And Respect. I wanted to get more than, become more than just a deal junkie. I'd like to become a deal junkie that actually owns uh, some real estate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so it happened slowly, you know, you know, when my bosses allowed me to slowly uh, bring a you know, minority piece of equity into the deal, uh, you know, and then, and then add as much value as I want to the deal um, or as much time as I want and be compensated in turn for it. And then it happened on the second one. And then, it, you know, from there it just goes. And then once you're in a good partnership, they always say, and I always say this as well, um, you know, there's an expression out there that you know your first you know your first deal is the dating phase um your second deal is is once you're already several months into the date you already know the person you're more comfortable you have a template you have yeah. a work platform for what to know and what huh. to expect and um and i think that was very true of of what happened um and i think it ultimately you know made me on the one hand on the one hand i wanted to stay there because I was starting to invest with the with the with the principals with the with my bosses, um, and then on the other hand, I was like, you know what, this is, you know, if I could do this with them and I could learn enough and make mistakes huh. with them with my own money under their roof, I think this is a great way to leverage that for myself and to, you know, before I before I go out and co-found a company or even found a company um, or do anything entrepreneurial of that nature. Huh. You kind of got you. You got like your training wheels phase working with very experienced guys. You, I mean, I, I imagine you help you know bring them into Philly. Let's say right, like I'm sure. Yes. Was, you know, yes. so like you're you're bringing in some new ideas and you're kind of helping add value to the process, but you're not running point on everything for the deal. You're not the key decision maker per se. Correct. Correct. So I wasn't the key decision maker by any means. Um, that lied with the print with my bosses at the time. But what I was able to do is I was able to voice myself and I was able to look at the deals and I was able to get my ownership reports and I was able to look, dive through the numbers. And that's, I think that's, you know, where a lot of, you know, they say the devil lies in the details. I like to say that the wealth of knowledge uh, lies in the details. 
right? So if you dive through those docs and you could get through them and you could, you could understand what's going on and why they're making these investments and why they're sound or why they're not sound and have a real, you know, supporting uh, data, you know, empirically supporting data or, or just even, uh, you know, uh, ability to reconcile and justify the investment on your own. I think that's the time where you start to, to really realize that your training wheels are taking off. Um, huh. and, 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 and that's what ultimately happened. Okay. So, and like, how, how like, what, what was the time frame from like when you first started thinking this, like, I want to go out on my own to like making it actually happen? Like what, what was that time frame? Sure. So the time frame from when I started thinking about going on my own to actually going out on my own was probably uh, a good several months. Um, you know, a good several months between the time I actually did. Um, I was fortunate enough to um, have, uh, you know, my friend's brother who at the time reached out to me and said, hey, I'm looking to do deals on my own also. I want to leave, uh, you know, a bigger firm. Um, you know, uh, you know, treetop development, um, yeah. uh, with a good reputation and, um, and my friend who's, uh, Aton's older brother, uh, you a know, Aton's your partner, right? Aton's my partner. Yeah. Sorry. Aton's my partner, Aton Friedman. Um, he's my partner, also the COO of Topaz Capital, um, and director of acquisitions. Um, and basically he, uh, he, you know, um, was able to, I was able to, um, entice him enough to come into our brick capital office, um, hmm. for the last six months that I was there roughly. Um, so we so were, you, able to you were incubating in, in their office. Correct. We were incubating in their office and I didn't do it against their knowledge. I actually, uh, sat down with the partners before I did this. I said, guys, it's really simple as I'm going to go out and do this on my own, or will you allow me to split my time equally 50, 50 between, uh, you know, doing my own deals with my, uh, you know, with my own platform or, and doing, and doing deals for you guys. And if oh. that would be accepting enough, and if I, if there's any point where I feel it's tipping between the 50, 50 and it's tipping more my side, I'm going to let you know, and I'm going to tell you right away and be upfront and honest. And then I'll, and then, it's probably wow. time to sit down again, right? So that's pretty that awesome. Was really hard to do, but that was the deal we cut. You know, I have to say again, just to highlight your maturity there, because I think a lot of people look at life as something that's binary, and and I think, well, I guess the more I've observed of of, of people in deal making roles, um, and and I very much try to take this attitude myself, is it's like nothing is all or nothing. Everything is negotiable, and when you have that mindset and you think to yourself there is a solution, whether or not both parties will want it, that's one thing, but like th there is a potentially a way to structure a solution that everyone's happy. And like in your case, you had a difficult conversation, but really what did you do? You gave yourself the opportunity to have one foot in the door of one realm and one foot in the door of another realm and made yourself uh, a nice launch pad. You know, you had office space, like you had credibility. Um, I, so I think I respect to you just to, to highlight that. I think it's and that, and that really big. And it wasn't, not only wasn't it easy, it also could get sticky at times. And that's when you have to be very diplomatic and, and you have to uh, be very upfront and straightforward with your partners and with your bosses and the people yeah. around you, because at the end of the day, you could be wrong. That's fine. But if you were being honest with them, usually everyone gets over it. Um, and, and that's something I realized, you know, pretty early on and, and actually, it's uh, to my boss's credit, they both held this very true to themselves is that they would never commit to something until they really feel like they could commit, even if it means of not having to see the opportunity, um, even if it means of not being in the game, so to speak, that a lot of people want to be in the, you know, be in the game to be considered for a deal. They would completely dissociate themselves from that and be, be honest with themselves and be honest with other people just as much as they are themselves. Sometimes. It might have been too blunt honesty and might have, you know, you could, you could argue that, you know, that might have costed some business for myself and the company and, and for the partners. But at the end of the day, it, it, it boils back to that, to the point of you're going to hear what we're going to, whatever we commit to, we're going to stand behind. And no matter the cost, no matter the latter, uh, it, it's, it's going to happen. And, and, and that's something that, you know, to, to Eric Roth's credit, actually, is something he really inculcated in my head in saying that, you know, 
be, be more cautious to commit than committing and then doing your analysis. And I think that's something I use every day now. Um, you know, I, I, I apply that in my own, uh, in my own way and in my own business. And, uh, and, it, and it's proof to get me out of a lot of situations where I might have, uh, you know, uh, overstepped or overcommitted to something that I wasn't really able to support the thesis we're, we're underwriting on. So it, it did, did prove itself out to be worthy. And, and it's something that today I still use and, and, and to their credit. Oh, very cool. Um, it sounds like you had a phenomenal experience there and, you know, and, and you had a lot of support as you left. I'm curious, like, when was the, the, the final pull of the plug? When were you like, all right, we're going out on our own. Did you, you bought a deal at that point, you syndicated a deal. And yeah. you're like, okay, we have enough cash flow coming from this deal. We can get our own space. Let's, let's, and now let's like make this a business. Yeah. Great question. So that's exact. That's pretty much how it happened. It, it was, it was, I was signing up my biggest deal um, to date uh, for purchasing, not for doing deals. Uh, Cause I did bigger deals. Like I said earlier, um, brokering, but it was the biggest deal I signed to date. It was a $42 million deal. Um, in Jacksonville, Florida, 444 units um, was my first uh, large garden style purchase um, with uh, with my partner Aton and also with um, you know the Lynn Companies uh, based out in San Antonio, Texas. Um, we did that deal as our first deal together, um, not just with Lynn but also with uh, uh, not with Aton. We did previous deals, our first big deal together with Aton, um, which we're talking to large family offices and large uh, investors and lenders and then starting to get into that space for historically for the year prior, a year and a half prior during our, uh, you know, called honeymoon phase of our, of our partnership and of the company, yeah. um, the early days, if you will, the, you know, that was more so making sure the proof of concept works and, the, and that, you know, things are working correctly. Um, so we bought a number of smaller assets in Chicago and Philly, anywhere ranging from a million to $10 million. Um, and then we took that leap of faith, um, the same way I did with my business. I took that in also the deal and I took a leap of faith into a $43 million deal. Um, thankfully we, uh, despite a lot of turbulence along the way and despite, um, really complete and ultimate faith. Um, beyond ourselves and traveling to Israel for a week to see if we could get this family office involved to traveling to South America to see if we get this wow. family office involved. And we, we really, we really said, we're going to do, we're going to go wherever we have to go and we're going to do whatever we have to do to get it done. And wow. uh, we found That's ourselves, amazing. yeah, we found ourselves uh, rescheduling the closing date uh, for 6, 13, 2018, uh, okay. sorry, 19. Um, which was pretty cool from my perspective because 613 symbolizes all the kind of commandments in, in the Jew, you know, in the, in the Bible. Um, huh. And so that was kind of Very interesting true. how those all kind of played together. And, um, but at the end of the day, it was really neat to find ourselves, uh, you know, closing a deal that. Big like, deal. Yeah. That was almost, you know, our entire portfolio in one deal. Um, yeah. And how, how old were you guys? Uh, we were, um, uh, I was about 20, was about two years ago, right? So I was 25, um, 26. Oh, and, uh, yeah, my partner, Aton, was is a couple years younger than me, so he, he was even younger. Um, I, I love that. I love that. You know, just like a couple of, like, kids just, like, closing on a 40-something million dollar deal, which... Yeah. You know, I, I think in and of itself is amazing to highlight because it just shows you that it's possible. It's just developing relationships, have it, building up the right connections and, and sources of capital. Because uh, it's like, it's not like you had $42 million sitting around. You know, you, you have relationships that you've built up um, either through, you know, your community or, or even just like being in the real estate world for four years. And it, it, yeah. it's, it's really possible if you could find the right deal. Yeah, no, absolutely. And to your point, it's actually, uh, it's actually quite difficult at the time because many people said, you know what, you know, knowing your family, you know, you probably have, you know, you'll, you'll get it done. But um, sometimes people jump the gun and, 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 or at least jump to uh, be quick on judgment 
And uh, the reality is that my family wasn't going to support me until I proved myself successful. Um, they're not even going to give me a dollar um, for deals. Obviously, they'll give me a dollar if I can't afford to live. But at that point, I was doing well enough to be able to live. Um, so it wasn't that that wasn't my concern. It was more that I couldn't tap into any backup um, equity if I needed to, which a lot of people do do when they're starting out. Um, hmm. You know, especially if they're starting out young with less of a track record, it becomes very, very difficult. And the odds are very much stacked up against you by all means. Um, I mean, if, if, if I was managing a bunch of money, I don't know if I would entrust it to a 25 year old. That being said, you know, no, I'm not, that's not a shot against you. I think that's just like, you know, as a broad, a broad kind of benchmark, like nope. most people aren't entrusting because, you know, if it's a $42 million deal, you know, what, what is it like? 13, $15 million in, in equity, that's um, yeah, it was, you know, like, like 13 million of equity yeah. of which, of which they're funding 90% of. Yep. Yep. So yeah, it was definitely a very, um, it was not an easy process. Um, by any means it was tedious, grueling, could use all, you know, exhausting if you will. But you know, what it did was, is it built us up for the next one and the next one and the next one. And so, what I realized is that it's, like I said earlier, it's all a stepping stone. It's every, life is one big stepping stone. It's like, it's a, it's, I'm sorry, it's a, it's a myriad of stepping stones, right? So it's, you have all these different stepping stones. The question is, which one do you step on now to get the next stage? Hmm. And that was kind of where we were, you know, debating is like, you know, do we go and do this, but we can end up with egg on our face and then our reputation looks terrible, but you know, at the same time, we're like, what do we have to lose? We're young guys. We, we believe in ourselves. You know, we believe in what we're doing. We think we're, you know, we think we're qualified to fit the job. And, uh, and we found those people that, you know, agreed and subscribed to that. Um, and some of them are incredibly sophisticated family offices. Some of them are, you know, they, you know, some of the leading family offices in the country, yet alone. Wow. Our state. So, um, so that was pretty neat. The fact that we passed, the test of, of some of the most, you know, the biggest expert serial LP investors uh, out there. And so we that's when we realized that I think we're onto something and I think we're onto something bigger and let's build this, let's build this machine and let's make it self-sustaining to the point where we could start to build verticals and start to build out the business wow. and, and to, to support our core business. Not to say that we're anywhere now, we're, we're still, you know, growing out the wow. business um, thank God we have 125 plus million in assets under management, That's amazing. Uh, which is That's great, huge. Um, which is fantastic, but it's also, it's not 500, it's not a billion, it's not, it's not a few billion. So, so what I'm trying to say is that there's always that, you know, us wanting to take that next step. Um, it's always just a question of how and when. Um, do you, do you, do you have fear? Like, like I, I, I'm kind of curious, like, you know, a lot of people, are are afraid to take chances and, and and fail ultimately right like you know like you said you know you're putting your reputation on the line like you're you're just indicating a pretty big deal like i don't think anyone would have faulted you if you didn't come through and close like and, and raise that kind There's of equity people we're betting that we would we're betting or, that yeah and, and but like what i guess what what's what was like what was that feeling like when it was it the same kind of feeling when you left ubs and like you, you just took that total shift in your career and, and like, I guess what conversely like kind of related though, is like, what's the motivation there? Like, like what, like what, and even to your point of like, you know, it's not 500 million, it's not a billion. Like what, what's the motivation there? Cause I, I don't imagine it's about making money. Um, Cause like there's a lot of ways to make money and like you, you left a path of making money to go to something you were passionate about. Right. Yeah. So like, just kind of curious of like the thoughts. So I, I, I kind of think you somewhat answered it um, a little decryptly, if you will, okay. uh, if, that, if that is even a qualified word, but, but I think you kind of touched on it is what I'm trying to get to is that it, it's really the passion component. I mean, for me, I'm a big believer. I, I, I love, you know, kind of, and it's a very generic statement, but like tikkun olam, it's, you know, bettering the world, uh, you know, as we say. Yeah. In and I love charities, always have, my family's always been involved and uh, I love, uh, you know, different charities that kind of speak to me. Obviously they vary from 
you know, one side of the spectrum to the other. But um, that that's something that I tell myself every day that that's what I want to be able to do. Um, so in order, what, how do I get there? How do I get to the point where all day long I can be managing my own money and managing my charities? Um, and hopefully that money will be channeled into the charities to help build them up and make them more prosperous. So that's, that's something that I personally have a drive to do. I love, um, that aspect. My grandmother, uh, Maureen Ostro always would say, you know, that the Tikkun Olam is the reason why we're here and that's our purpose in this world, et cetera. Um, so I did grow up with that mindset of saying you have to if you're not creating if you're not creating a better environment around you, you're probably making it worse, or you're useless to some extent. <laughs> uh, you know, which is, no, which no, is kind of making it worse and being useless are not mutually exclusive. Just to be no, clear. they're not mutually exclusive at all. And, yeah, you're probably just both. Uh, you know, there's definitely a of like useless in, in an older British woman's terms is a way of saying that you're not as so useful that I'd like for you to be. Um, and so that's more no, I got it. coming from, but, but obviously, you know, it, it really boils down to having a greater uh, uh, mission than the mission of making money. Cause if you're in the mission of making money and I, I listen to bigger podcasts and I listen to, um, uh, you know, Inc podcast and, you know, more recently TRD came out of their podcast and, you know, different groups. And, and one of the things I realized that every successful person essentially boils down to saying, and it's really true and they believe in it, is that they had an ulterior motive other than making money. And that ulterior, the money, making money happened, but the, it was in conjunction with ulterior motive in some fashion or another. And, yeah. And, and just to be clear, in, th in this case, the ulterior motive is, is an altruistic motive and right. Like it's, it's a good motive. Like, it's not like they're trying to, use their money for nefarious purposes not like correct exactly so it was like it was for that altruistic approach or for that betterment of something else right huh. so so that was a beautiful thing that i saw um that i've been seeing and that i myself have experienced that i think um you know is kind of uh, you know at the core and 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 and, 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 and that's it's at the core of making sure that you're successful is that you're don't lose track of where you're looking to go, but also, uh, you know, as I always say, don't look, don't look, don't forget where you came from. Right. So oh. it's that kind of, you know, don't forget where you came from, you know, it, but also make sure you don't lose sight of where you're going has a very important understanding within that of what is that motive to get you there. Right. So that motive for me is to become more involved to build up charities and betterment of, the causes I believe in. Um, and that is what keeps me passionate, running, keeps the blood flowing, keeps me breathing, I think every day, um, is waking up knowing that I have a bigger uh, kind of mission at hand. Um, wow. Involves all this, honestly. I love that, I love that. Um, I, I almost would want to end on that because it's like, it's so powerful, like that's, that's really awesome. Um, but I do wanna, I do wanna give you a chance to kind of give people listening a little bit more insight into like, you know, you mentioned this vertical, vertically integrated business, right? Like, you, and you really touched on the fact that you started buying deals, but now kind of like, you know, I, I guess you learned it at Friedman Roth, right? You learned from the best and now you're kind of taking that elsewhere and now you can build out these different verticals. Like what, what have you started to implement and like, you know, how have you gone about doing that strategically? Great question. Um, so how we've uh, done that and strategically are kind of uh, one and the same because we, everything we do has a strategic component to it, right? Okay, so, so in our case, um, our strategy is right now to, to fuel the growth of our core business. And that core business is acquisitions and development of multifamily real estate. So one of the ways in doing so and driving deal flow to get those deals, right? That's Makes sense. how you get it, right? So, so then we have to take a step back and say, how do we do that? Is today's platform suffice for getting there? The real answer was yes, today's platform could suffice for us getting there, but could we get there a little more excel, you know, a little faster or a little more efficiently? Yes. And I think 
One of the ways we're doing that um, is by rolling out a, a platform that supplements our equity business, um, private equity business called Topaz 1031 LLC. It's, a, it's basically a Topaz 1031 exchange platform uh, where 1031 investors um, could, instead of being in a last minute rush or hassle to complete their 1031, or instead of being, you know, uh, you know, not having a supportive team or, you know, or service or, or group that's going to, you know, make sure I complete my tax deferred exchange um, within the time frame that's really rigid and not only rigid, but really tight um, is something that I think was not being afforded out there to the greater community that wants to invest in multifamily. Now, this was... Well, I, just, I just want to clarify, just in case anyone listening doesn't know what a 1031 is, you kind of touched on it, but it's basically a way for someone selling a property uh, to defer their capital gains by, by rolling the proceeds at whatever they, whatever they sold their property for into a new property. And the, the IRS has certain rules, you know, a tight timeline in terms of when it has to be executed upon. Um, and, you know, I, and, and I guess just to contextualize a little more, it's like, you know, a lot of people who aren't institutional real estate people, they may own some buildings, but they don't have the access to deals to invest in, you know, exactly. really lends, lends to what you're doing, right? Like, exactly. Um, exactly. Okay. And not just that. Also, there's folks that do have the ability or family offices that aren't in the crux of real estate multifamily on a day-to-day -day basis, that don't live and breathe multifamily, that they want that insight to the deals, to the nuances of underwriting the deals, to the transactional execution and the certainty of execution um, that they don't maybe have or they're not comfortable with. Um, many people are turning to this platform for that. So, um, and to your point, it's, 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 it's essentially that 1031 like kind exchange and that, you know, we're going to go out and we're the first ones to our knowledge that are offering an institutional grade multifamily investment um, that's the, that we call the alternative to triple nets and DSTs, which are historically the most common way of people uh, going about their 1031 and saying, hey, you know what, I'll do a DST or triple net. Um, but then they lose out on all the upside and all the potential that you can get when owning multifamily. And also from tax perspective, there's advantages as well. Um, so, you know, there's that, there's that wealth preservation and creation element that we want to continue to, uh, foster in the company and continue to, uh, make known amongst our clients and new clients that really boil down to how could we service you in getting and in investing more so into multifamily, um, you know, and, uh, doing so, uh, where you're comfortable. So, whether it means uh, in the, you know, without getting too into detail and boring you, but there's really a, a typical structure that's used, which is called a tick, which is a tenants in common. Uh, and, and, and many times there are investors that aren't comfortable with most ticks. However, we have created multiple documents and drafts that address a uh, majority of the investors' concerns on that front which have been really resonating with the investment community in, in, uh, in real estate. Recently. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad to hear really that. Excited. We have some great partners out there, whether it's title companies, lenders, um, and just different servicers, brokerage houses as well, that are really excited to launch, to get this thing up and, you know, it's up and running already, but to get this thing um, out there, to get the platform more attention and, uh, and to ultimately help grow it up. And then back to your point before is that we have not just the Topaz 1031, but it, you know, I'll just tell you we have other verticals quite briefly is that we, we said, okay, here's the acquisition equity business in the middle or we're buying, owning, operating properties. Um, and then we have the Topaz 1031, which feeds in. Then we have Topaz Direct Lending, TDL, which is doing wow. direct lending, alternative lending on the same assets. Again, same, these are all centralized against multifamily and, and not last but not least, but also um, our uh, Topaz property partners, JV platform, which is, you know, uh, Topaz property partners, LLC. And that platform is basically out there to help owners and operators, um, uh, you know, get into uh, deals or if they have liquidity issues to get some liquidity um, if they have restructuring or management issues to bring us in for that. Um, and we essentially 
uh, you know, step in their shoes, obviously with certain control rights to bring the property back up to performance and allow them huh. to, remain, to keep their investment in the property they believe so, so heavily in. So that's awesome. another really cool platform um, that we've been seeing a lot of success in. We've done three deals in the last uh, eight months on that platform. Um, one on the 1031 in the last just couple months. Um, and so we're really, we're really excited. We've been rolling this out. Um, we think it's easier to digest for our, for our clients um, and segmenting them into, into concise platforms, into easily digestible platforms has been uh, better than ever because we believe in the you know, KISS model of keeping things simple, stupid, and, and just trying to boil it down to, you know, how could I digest this? Not, not how could I be convoluted or complex with this environment? I think, I think it's amazing. And, and you know, I, I really, it, I, I mean, I guess I have to ask you again, like, how, how old are you today? You're, you're, you're 28? I'm 27 years old today. 27. Okay. I, even more to my point of like, it's pretty awesome. You and, and Aton's younger than you, like, you know, it, two kids in their 20s starting a syndication platform, syndicating over $100 million worth of deals and rolling out multiple verticals. Like it, it, it's awesome to see, like it, it really shows like if you apply yourself, you know, if you think it could happen, you can make it happen. Um, yeah. So there's a question of how, how do you, what obstacles are before you and, and, and really how do you, what's your plan and strategy to overcome them? Uh, yeah. And, and I, what's your, I, what's your why? I think you have a great why, which, which I think really probably drives you day to day and, and allows you to push through, I'm sure the myriad of bullshit you have to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a tremendous amount of that out there and never, never a lack of supply of, 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 of challenges and of things that are just there to distract you um, more often than not. So, so yeah. So to your point. Awesome. Um, well, listen, Mark, you know, it, it's, it's really, it was a pleasure to, to have this conversation. I, I feel like we've had bits and pieces of this over the years, but really even more so to be able to share kind of your insight and, and how you've gone about shaping your career and, and you know, explaining how you think about things and, and, and why you do the things you do. Um, I find it really inspiring and motivating and, and I'm sure that everyone who listens will as, as well. So I, you know, I, I really, I can't tell you enough. Thank you so much. Uh, appreciate you, you being a podcast guest, a friend, a client, a, you know, a future business partner. And uh, I really, you. really look forward to watching you continue to grow and, and uh, continue to be a rising Titan. Thank you. And same to you. And it's really inspirational to see that you finally took this on, especially in the midst of COVID-19 is no easy feat. Um, and it's really awesome. Appreciate that. It's really appreciate awesome that. To see it happening finally. And uh, I think a lot of people have a lot to gain, including myself. So I'm really excited. Thank you, Mark. Look forward to, uh, to getting to the top of the mountain with you. And I'll, I'll see you there.